Welcome, everyone. This is Dwayne Newstater with Tony Tresalt on another Tree Actions podcast, the Human Forestry Podcast. And today joining us is none other than Mr. Chris McGuire, and we're happy to have him on the show. Well, Chris, welcome to Tree Actions. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, welcome, Appreciate Chris. Thanks for coming on. So, um, you know, as, as I mentioned, <laughs> sorry, Tony, I didn't get that. It was oh, no worries. Okay. Well, just for our listeners know that we, 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 uh, my, my internet connection is a little weak. And so I, there may be the odd little delay or hesitation and that's what's happening. Please bear with us. Uh, it's all good. Well, Chris, we usually ask everybody uh, a question about, you know, uh, how it was that they got started in trees. Like what, where it all began, you know, for some people it started as a child because of the family. For some people it was someone they knew. But, you know, if you, you know, even before you did it for a living, you know, how did your journey in the trees begin? Yeah, well, we, I was just a kid, uh, this would be 1977 to 80. Uh, Mom and dad bought a farm uh, west of, uh, of Edmonton, Alberta, here in Canada. And uh, a couple of years after we bought it, we planted 6,000 trees. Uh, the idea being that we were going to turn um, 40 acres of it into a tree farm. So, we planted blue spruce, um, laurel leaf willow, uh, northwest poplar, um, uh, jack pine, just a, a whole bunch of different species that we knew would grow well, and um, we got at it. And uh, it was just brutal. Uh, it was just brutal work. Like, as uh, you know, because you've got, we had a big family, we had six kids, and so you got six kids as labor, and, <laughs> and you don't. Uh, uh, you know, it's not an easy job. It's not a well-equipped job. It's not a well-led job. It's, uh, but it's a job. And boy, we got them all in. And and right um, after we did that, uh, Dad was Dad was after all of us. Somebody has to become an arborist. Someone has to take care of all these trees. And we just we weren't paying attention because uh, the the idea was the trees were there to to sell, not to not to to. Um, you know, there was going to be no sculpting necessary. There was going to be none of that. So none of us paid any attention to it. And then um, there was a big organization came in and bought every tree, all all 6,000 of them. And they only ended up moving out 30, 30. And so we were, and then they went broke. And, um, or the, I don't know, they went, they went toes up. And we were left with all these trees. So now dad says, okay, now we got to take care of them because they're, they're here and, and they're going to be here forever. And that's where I started my uh, boar culture and or being an arborist and nobody knew in my family what to do or, or how to do it. And of course there was no internet back then. And here I am, I'm 13 years old and I just, just went after it with, um, with uh, uh, secateurs and loppers to, to begin with and, and over time um, chainsaw. So that's how, it, that's how that started uh, for me. And I was a, uh, uh, Probably the best lion's lion's tailor you'd ever meet <laughs> in the world to begin with, but I learned and uh, learned on my own. So that's where the journey started. Wow! So you were cutting trees on the family farm, basically. Yeah, yeah, and then there was all that. We had multiple uh, quarter sections that we farmed. So all of the, it, as soon as you pick up the chainsaw, it's, it's you're the chainsaw guy. So all of the all the trees that need to be cleared off crop lines and fence lines and all that kind of stuff. That was, that became all my job. So, uh, so I, I went after it and I loved it. Never intended to do it for a living though. Well, and that, so what, you know, you do that for a living now. So how did that transition make it in, you know, where did y'all go? Like you, you wouldn't have, I mean, obviously it started your career, but would you have called yourself an arborist then? Obviously if you learned things that probably applied, but where did the arborist journey begin? Would you say? Tell us that story. 
after I talked to you, after I asked you whether I was an arborist or not, because I wasn't ISA certified. And the answer you gave, and this was what, this was 2012. When I talked to you, when you came to, to work, give yeah. us our course. And I asked you, I said, am I, am I an arborist technically? And, and you said to me, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but you said, if you are working with trees and you care for trees and you care for them in the environment and you're doing your best to, uh, to ensure that they, that they live uh, a healthy life and the, and the, the um, surrounding ecology uh, is improved because of them, then you're an arborist. And I like that answer. So from that point on, I was an arborist. And then I went and got the ISA wow. and all the other stuff. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose I was when I was a kid. I, I You know what I was? I was because I really cared for those trees. I mean, that, they were beautiful and they were well planted in a beautiful location and they were good stock. So I worked hard on them. Those are good days. Excellent, excellent. Um, you know, you mentioned your father. I know he had a somewhat of a pivotal role in in your journey, didn't you? Did he not? And I, and I, you know, I'm. I guess I have to to be fair. I know a bit of your story, so, yeah. uh, and I know it's personal, but it is quite powerful. You know, the you know your final decision to to join the the Arvis workforce had something to do with your dad, didn't it? Yeah, it sure did. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't want to be an arborist at all. The the. The fact of it is, because I was good, I've, I've always been pretty good on a chainsaw. And there, in every job I ever had, ever had, except once as a waiter, um, revolved around the chainsaw. And I was on it all the time, every job. And I liked it. It was just something something that, that I was good at. Um, but my dad recognized it and he was, but I had no intention of being an arborist and my dad saw it and he recognized it. And he was always after me since I was a kid, you need your ticket, even though there isn't a ticket in Canada, you need to be an arborist. And I always just, uh, you know, it kind of made me angry because I had so many other things I wanted to do. I wanted to be a soldier. I wanted to, well, I wanted to do a hundred things. I didn't want to be an arborist. I had no intention. And then one day, the, the story that in particular that you're, you're talking about, um, we had been out, a uh, vehicle of mine broke down out in the, the countryside, and we'd been fixing it for a couple of days. It was, a, it, was a, it was a rather tough job, and we were having breakfast the one morning before we went out to uh, work on it, and we were sitting there, and he was telling me again about, because I was between jobs, and uh, he was telling you got to, Chris, you got to be an arborist. And uh, I, I looked at him, I remember looking at him across the table and I said, dad, that's not going to happen. You know, I was, I was working at a, a, a small company that was doing oil field service at the time and I was doing just fine. And uh, I said, that's, it's not going to happen. And he said, it's, it's, and he reached across the table and he, and he held my hand and he said, it's my, that's my dream for you. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's, um, he was being he was being very odd at that breakfast, but afterwards, uh, uh, a couple hours later, he he died um, while we were working on that van of mine. He had a massive heart attack and 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 died on the spot. So there was a, a lot of trauma involved with that and, and all that. But once the once the kind of the dust cleared on that, and a few months down the road, when I could gather my thoughts together, I thought, well, I'll, I'll try because it wasn't doing anything. Um, for the winter, I was just sitting around. So I thought I'll, I'll try it. What the hell? And I'll go to, I'll go and get some formal training. So I ended up, um, on David Tree's doorstep in Edmonton and they took me on and, and right like the, the first minute of the first day when we were standing in the equipment bay and we were all stretching, one of the guys says, uh, we were busting up into teams and one of the guys says, I'll take the old guy mean and me and we went out and <laughs> an hour and a half later i was in a tree tied in and and he was showing me what to do it was just that quick and um wow. he was such a good dude uh a uh, kid by the name of justin kobaluk he was such a good guy and i appreciated him so much that it just i just took to it um and learned exp exponentially i just uh it's just where i needed to be and what i needed to do and it's it's gone from there Wow. So thanks, Dad. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's, uh, 
it's a it is a it's a poignant story, and uh, I, I'm glad that you shared it because I don't know how many people have had that type of uh, a prompt and experience, and then and then followed it or listened, and, and uh, you know, and then had it work out. Because how long ago was that now? Well, that was 2008. Yeah, it was uh, uh, just a just a the oddest event, eh? And I just. It, Obviously, he's going to catch your attention, and I just, I just did something about it. It felt like it was time. If he wanted it, then I was going to try it out. So, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about your journey. For well, I, I mean, you, you, you worked at David. How long were you there? I was only there for a couple of years. Uh, I was only there for a couple of years. They did. They ended up taking me off the tree crew and putting me on the um, tree spraying crew because I had my pesticide applicator license. And that's not where I wanted to be. And then a great job came up with my local municipality. So I just jumped over. I, I did right. a job in, in forestry to lead up their forestry department. Right. Yeah. So what was the, what was, what would you say would have been your uh, biggest contribution to yourself and to your career, your learning from your time with Davy tree? With Davy tree was, uh, With Davy Tree, it was the different ways that those guys had of getting a job done. That you could go, you could look at things, especially when you were in a larger group with them. They had they they liked to discuss their options and how we can go about it. And it went everywhere from absurd right to as technical as you could possibly get. So it was a great introduction into it because I learned how to look at uh, tree work in multiple different um phases basically and how to how to do everything from uh let, letter buck to hold on boys let's let's really look at this tree and, and get it down safely so i really appreciated that education um because it certainly taught me what i don't want to do and uh started me on the process of what i didn't know was a six-step felling plan which has certainly helped me out in the future right Right. Yeah, not not particularly the six step, but the way of evaluating danger and consequence, so that I could do the job safely. Right. So, what would be one of your uh, most memorable tree experiences that that you could regale us with? That that I mean, we all obviously have a few, but there's a you know I can think of two that kind of stick out in my mind that were like. You know, usually they involve uh, pain or near death. Often, <laughs> at least mine do. But, but uh, you know, we we want to expand on that too. But, but what what uh, which ones stand out in your mind? What's the first one that kind of pops in? Well, um, technically, I've never been much of a much of a climber. I don't have the knees for it. So uh, more bucket work than anything. But um, the uh, I think any tree that has been technically difficult to remove and then that the uh the planning phase of getting a bucket through it or needing to 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 bucket and climb it or those sorts of things those ones that present that challenge have always been always been very very rewarding for me and i I had one time a fairly um well known arborist around Edmonton showed up at one of our sites and he said it's like you dismantled that thing and put it right back into the box, um, which I always appreciated. So, you know, just cool. um, that, that kind of thing. I just, I just, I really like, but it's the action of it. It's the cuts. Where, where do you make the cuts? How do you, how do you make that snap cut and remove that safely? And uh, with the uh, ground crew uh, safe below you and your drop zone established and, and that, so it's not maybe a, any particular trees there's been trouble trees trees that that have caused me great grief but um but for the most part <laughs> it's the entire process of it which which really pleases me so you, how much climbing did you do you talked a little bit about climbing i realized you didn't do as much but what like what did you have your own equipment or what did you, you yeah. what did you climb with like what do you remember what knot you use in hitches and stuff or Matt, the only the only like the only thing that I used, I used to uh, climb those two years for Davy, and um, uh, I wasn't taught well. 
take a line. Uh, I was, uh, then it was the oddest thing you'd, you'd free climb the tree to get a, to get a rope in. Yeah. And, uh, because nobody, nobody was using throw line, um, right. uh, to establish the rope. So it was just that. And, uh, I had I, a harness that a guy gave me. I can't even remember the name of it. It's still, it's hanging on the, the wall of the garage. Um, yeah, it just, it was all, it was all, um, Bolins and, and, uh, it was, it was pretty greasy, man. I, I'm not real proud of it. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That's okay. So you still have your, the old harness somewhere Like you could dig yeah. it out. Yeah, I sure can. It's still sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And do you remember the rope you were using? I, if I were, it was, um, half inch. Yeah. Um, what the hell was it? That orange, um, steel core or not steel core. Uh, no, I, I can't off the top of my head. It was, it was orange. It was probably the New England safety blue with the orange and what orange and white. Orange and yeah, it was orange and white. Yeah. 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 yeah it would have been New England safety blue high vis is what it would have been, which makes sense. Which yeah, makes sense. And we used it we used it for climbing, pulling trees, pulling vehicles out of the mud. We used those ropes for everything. It's just a, a terrible way to learn. <laughs> Did you use spurs too? Yeah, I spurred quite a bit. We had um, uh, an a lineman uh, out of um, where was he from? Out of Illinois, and uh, he taught he taught me how to spur and did a fair amount of spurring. And I like spurring. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why I did like doing the uh, um, power line uh, teaching so much is because I, I just I got a thing for spurring that I really appreciate. So you did quite a few removals, removals with spurs then? Yeah, I did. And the gaffs I had were, were old, uh, just old lineman uh, gaffs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And they're still around too. Still got them kicking around. Well, you know, we've had, we haven't had a lot of guys on yet or ladies on the show that have a bucket background. I, well, I mean, a lot of guys, you know, use the bucket, but I mean, you're yeah. – you know, you're, you've been talking about your, you know, you quickly moved into aerial left and, and using the bucket, you know, um, you know, it's, there isn't, you know, there isn't a bucket international bucket arborist bucket championships and there's this, but there's no question that it involves some skill, you know, and you know, that's one. And in fact, I think one of the first courses we did with you was, was it aerial lift operation or was it a chainsaw course? I think we did first no. and then aerial lift. Aerial lift was first. You did a whole week of that. Okay. You did another week of, uh, of chainsaw. Interesting. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm, there's no doubt that many people that that listen to this run buckets and, you know, I'm yeah. glad that we have, I think it's, it's something worth talking about. Like, like, how do you, you know, if you were to do a bucket competition, if you were to set something up, what would be the kind of thing that, 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 a bucket operator would want to be excel at if someone's listening to this and they're new in a bucket or they even are running a bucket for a long time. What, like if you're trying to explain to someone how to run a bucket or things about it, first of all, does it matter which kind? Are they all different? And then what do you, what could you share with someone about running a bucket based on your experiences? Um, I would, uh, I'm big on using the bucket as a mobile platform. So uh, I'm, I'm also, and that means that I'm big on moving the bucket to the cut rather than assuming I can make the cut from the bucket. So what that'll mean is I get the bucket to the most comfortable position I can, and then I make a cut instead of reaching out or using a, a pole saw or, or something like that. I, I see a lot of guys um, bucketing. They'll get up into the tree, and then they'll make multiple cuts from that position. Um and I and I am of the belief that every cut needs to be under control. So none of this just cut and let her drop and cut and let her drop. And I see a lot of that. And and so I try not to and I teach my guys that if you if you're working from a mobile platform, then that platform should be moving throughout the tree so that you're making the best cuts possible. And I think that that's, uh, that really helps with one handing as well. So uh, uh, I think a lot of uh, um, I think a lot of one handing is advantageous where you can lean way out and cut that thing and it goes down. But if you've got to manipulate the bucket to the spot, the chances are that you're going to make a two handed 
cut under control um, most of the time. For, for, so, and I like that. I, I like being in control of what I do. And I think that the bucket lends perfectly to that. And then if you have to get out of it and reposition the truck so that you're on the other side of the tree or you can make, uh, uh, you've got better access over there, then, then that's what you do. I think the entire thing is a tool and it is to be used as efficiently as your chainsaw. So you, you're talking about one-handed, the, the, the dreaded one-handed talk debate, which, you know, there's those that would say, what are you talking about? That's just the way it works done. And then there's those maybe going, what? You don't, uh, yeah. you mean to get in a position so you can one hand or are you actually saying you don't? And then, then they're saying, oh, one of those guys that doesn't one hand. Um, uh, wherever people sit on that debate, I don't want, I don't want to debate the debate, but no, I uh, like give us your, you know, the one handing according to Chris, as far as where you stand on it, let's lay it on us. Lay it on you. I don't think that yeah. there's any any reason to, and I'll, and I'll get flamed for it, but I don't think that there's any reason to make even one one handed cut. Um, and that yeah. is, and that is when you're standing on the ground and you look you look at that tree. Um, your job on the ground is to assess how you're going to move through it, whether you're a climber or a bucket operator, how you're going to move through that tree and 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 do that job uh, effectively, efficiently, and safely. Uh, so. And then once you get up there, that plan changes because the plan is it's a it's it's a living plan, right? And it changes as you do th- as you work it. But uh, right. I think that um, I think that as human beings, we're instinctively not maybe not instinctively, but we we like to trend to the lazy side of things, the the easier side of things, and that that difficult cut or that difficult effort, if we can do it. Uh, uh, quicker and and seemingly easier we'll always go for that so i don't like the default i don't like to default to the one-handed cut and i'll never tell a guy he can't do it because i've got arborists working for me right now that do do it and and they've explained why and you can't you have to you have to understand that there's there's different paths the thing about it is is that is that uh I, i think it should be part of your work plan to reduce that as much as possible and i think that there's good steps in place to do that um the problem is is that we once once your default cut becomes the one-handed cut and you say i only do it once in a while you'll do it all the time because it's just the easiest way to do it or you you assume it is and that's where i stand on that not a big thing. right yeah and that's i think i think a lot of people feel that way like it's faster easier you know you're especially you know uh the utility realm where it's over the wires and you cut small hold it, chuck it free and clear so it doesn't drop down on the wires. So, you know, it may seem rudimentary and basic, but, you know, you got people wondering, well, how do you cut a branch and not have it fall and stay in control of it? How do you, would, how do you explain that to someone, the technique you use? Well, that's when you're cutting outside of your uh, um, compression and tension and you're cutting in that neutral zone that, that's, that is uh, adjacent to those. So you have to establish your where that is. You have to establish compression and tension, and then you're making a snap cut in the neutral zone adjacent to that, so that you can put the saw away, take that, uh, take that cut, and then take it out of the tree and place it on the ground where you want it to go. Right. And I also like the action because when I'll take when I take a piece out of the tree, it forces me to look down. So it's not just I just don't take it and chuck it. Uh, it forces me to look down on the ground and you'll get the odd uh, groundsman that'll pop in while he thinks that you're on the saw and to clear. And it's always a good idea also to keep, uh, keep an eye on your drop zone and your people. Right. And for sure, if they're watching and, and you're able, I mean, maybe you can put that piece right at the back of the chipper, which helps everybody. Right. Right? There's just, there's lots of benefit to it. Well, you know, speaking of bringing the piece over to the chipper and stuff, um, you know, I have seen, you know, I, I, I've never done it myself and I've seen it done and, and I don't know if it's prevalent or not because I, I'm sure that if it does get done, a lot of people don't talk about it. But I don't know if you ever have seen or what you'd have to say about people that will almost use it as a, as a, almost like a crane. The, the bigger pieces, they're pretty heavy kind of flop them onto the bucket lip. Like I've seen like 
you know, four foot chunks of trunk that are too big to really carry. You know, they're a hundred plus pounds. Yep. You know, they're not five, six hundred pounds, but they're decent size. Crack them onto the like mismatch, cut them, snap them, and kind of tilt them onto the bucket, lay them on there, and then move that over so they don't have to be wheelbarrowed or lifted or cut out of the backyard. You ever seen yeah. that sort of thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, he sure has. And that's just a, <clears throat> a, because not every tree crew is going to go out with a bobcat, right? Or a, a skid steer that does grapple and can grab that stuff. Those ones tend to, I tend to, uh, I'll cut them and then I'll drop them off and then I'll let them fall, snap them out, let them fall on the ground, and then I'll address them when they're on the ground, cut them up into something smaller. But generally, I don't cut anything I can't lift. Um, and right. as far as putting put it on the, the bucket, uh, you know, I'll get, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't lo- I don't work in a production environment. I work in a in a process environment, right? So I don't have to I don't have to get six trees out in a day, or else somebody's going to be shaking their finger at me. So I, I can do it a little more safely. However, I do not think that you should ever load the bucket or ever load that system with anything else other than your uh, uh, other than yourself because it's lifting you every day. Uh, for hours and hours and hours. And you already do enough to, to it by torquing it through the tree, trying to find a path through and, and all of the sap and the resin and the gasoline and all that crap that gets all over the boom and the bucket and the, and the whole thing. I just um, overloading it. And it's got a very um, upfront and clearly stated weight uh, allowance to it. And then you put a 200 pound, six, six foot dude in it like me and it's bouncing and stuff like that. So all, there's all that shock. So no, I, I don't like to load the bucket with anything else other than my fat self. <laughs> um, you know, you bring up a good point, you know, as far as, you know, guys are well, I'm not a little, I think there's, there's a little more attention paid. And I think we do overlook this a lot in the arborist industry, especially with our fall protection or, or the, the stuff that gets us up there and keeps us up there. You know, you get complacent with using it every day and you don't, you know, but, you know, certainly I think a climbing rope and a belt gets checked just by virtue of using it and putting it on. Whereas something like your boom, you know, like how how did you or how often would you, you yourself check your boom and then what did you look for? Like what were things or things that you even have seen that you got to watch for? Like what, what would you tell someone to be like that's important to – to check and as far as your inspection and what you're checking for on your on your bucket chart, your area left. Remember when we did the boom course at work and you had us put the bucket down on the pylon? On the, yeah. the work pylon? Yeah. And it, you, you put you put glasses of water on the step and on the side of the um, on the lip of the boom. And then yeah. we had to move it through a, a um, an obstacle course and then set yeah. it down on a on a work pylon. And I thought that was that was a fantastic way of of learning your boom. And the the point I'm trying to make about that is when you sat it down on that pylon, that rubber pylon, you can feel that resistance. And I yeah. think it's important that you uh, hold on. I gotta <laughs> yeah, I gotta pause that. So and I feel it's that it's important that you know what the limitations of your equipment are. Um, because if you're not paying attention, then you're like I was referencing a minute ago, going through a tree and torquing that boom against the trunk or a, or a limb trying to reach something, and and you need to be cognizant of the feel of that equipment as you as you use it. So I think that's I think that's very important. I I, I think that it's critical that you're not dropping limbs or or rounds on the boom itself um, as they fall to the to the ground. Um, I think it's um, light stuff. I think that's pretty fair to move out with the with the boom. Um, it's just, but it, it's the tool that's gonna that that needs to. I mean, geez, you're seventy feet off the ground, and you're abusing yeah. the the thing that's holding you there. That's a that's problematic to me. But but what about what about just in in, in like pre work like inspection and like on a daily, weekly, or whatever basis? What what are things that you look for? that just as far as wear points or, you know, just your inspection process, like do you have things that are very routine to you or something? You know, I'm just curious. 
One of the, uh, yeah, I'm looking at wear points all the time. I'm looking for leaks. Uh, I'm always looking in the clear uh, inspection panels. Um, I'll actually remove those the odd time and take a look inside there to make sure that everything is, is, is tickety-boo. Um, I've actually had a very hard time finding out how much that boom is supposed to be greased or the, the uh, turret is supposed to be right. greased. Uh, I've had some people say almost never to other people saying you're supposed to uh, grease it to, I've got what, four, four grease circs on that, on the um, turret. And I've had people say, don't touch them. Um, that's what maintenance is for. So that's an hmm. odd thing. So I'm watching out for that, trying to get answers for that. But a lot of it right. is, is, is wear and then chips in the fiberglass. Um, a chip on that, that fiberglass is very tough. So if there's chips on it, there's something fairly substantial that's happened. So I'm always about investigating that and how that happened. Um, and then, and then looking for the cracks that will come from fiberglass from that. So yeah, it's, um, it's a journey, but even though I'm not on the truck so much anymore, I still pass it all the time and I'm looking at it and I'm telling the guys, and I'm pointing stuff out to the guys. And I don't know. I hope they're being patient with me. They sure act like it. It's an interesting comment you make. So like if you notice, you know, something out of the ordinary, you mentioned the chip, like, you know, like what, like what other things like that if you've seen it on a boom or the back that like I'm thinking like, I don't know what what would be things that you know I don't know if we'd call them red flags per se but maybe we could you know that you go huh that's strange that needs to be investigated and either find out if it's how bad it is or even what happened how important is that like where did that nick in the boom that wasn't there last time I looked at it come from yeah that's um um that hydraulic leak um those always scare me I don't know, you know, th th that's always something that's got to go straight to the mechanics. But as far as, like, for the rest of it, um, the movement of the boom it, it itself, because I'm so used to it, the minute it makes, there's a little hiccup in it. Uh, yeah. That, that's an, that raises the red flag right there. And that, that more than anything, if it comes off the cradle and it, and it jumps and it jumps, hesitates, and, and, and then goes back into, into, uh, it's movement, that stuff really gets, it gets my juices flowing big time because it works the same. <laughs> I mean, it's a good boom. Uh, that's a good system. That's a VersaLift system on that, uh, on that big forestry truck of ours. And it works like a dream. And it's just an absolute dream. And so any hiccup is, uh, is instantly problematic to me because I have no idea where it came from. That's one of the problems with different people using it. You don't know how they're going to operate it. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So it absolutely has to be inspected. Well, that's cool. So any advice you have, just to, we'll, we'll, I like, we'll jump off this uh, aerial lift theme here in a second, but uh, it, like how, what does Chris look at when you, you, you mentioned a couple of times now about planning and talking about it, looking at the tree, whether you're climbing or bucket operating, but as a bucket operator, you're getting ready to do pruning, removal, whatever. What, what are you thinking about in your setup? Like when does it start? When you, when you look at the work order, when you pull up to the tree and, and what do you, how do you position that as far as getting your boom in and through that tree? It starts with the work order. Where are you going to go? And the, my very first thought is the guys that are going to go with me and who's with me, how much they know and where I can use them, uh, where I can use them on the job site and who I can sort of, uh, uh, who's going to need some, who, who can get some beneficial training out of what I'm doing. So I got my train guys. And then I got guys that, that don't really know what they're doing, but are keen and they're key to the process um, because you can teach them a lot of things. So first of all, I do a, a, an assessment of the crew that I'm going in with before I even step in the truck. We'll have a real hmm. quick um, tailgate. This is the job that yeah. we're going to do. And um, um, these are the things that I know that each guy is, is, is good at doing. So right. then we'll go there. Um, we park the truck at a distance and I'll walk in and I'll take a look at, at what the task is. And it doesn't, doesn't take very long. I, I'll, if there's another arborist with me, we'll do a tree assessment and a, uh, um, we'll go from the tree assessment to a, to a vehicle assessment where if we've got to do multiple sets to get at it, uh, where the chipper is going to go, where the drop zone is going to go. And then we'll set up 
uh, and then everybody gets another tailgate. This is this is the what's going to happen. This is the drop zone. Um, you'll watch me for communication, and I'm in charge. And I and I, Chris McGuire in the bucket, am in charge of of everything. So, and I mean that not to be uh, not to be vain, but if I don't know what's going on in the drop zone or with the with the guys, then then everything is out of control. So, and that's the same with anybody in a bucket. You're like a guy in the truck up in the air with, you know, in control of what goes down really is in control. The guy in the or in charge is always the guy that's in charge. Right. On, on my site. So anyway, so, so what happens in the ground on the, on the ground, um, works around my schedule. So I'll finish up. So once I get up in the tree, everybody knows their job. And once I get up in the tree and the, and the job starts, then I'll cut and then I'll stop. And the, the ground, the crew will work to clean it all up. And, um, then I'll cut. And while I'm cutting, they're at the back of the chipper doing the, the cleanup. So they're raking and they're, they're out of the drop zone and they're, they're doing that. But everybody's got a job and everybody's in, in place. And if you don't have a job, then, then you are where I can see you and you're watching me. Well, that, that makes sense. That's good stuff. And I was thinking also about you yourself, you know, positioning the bucket to work the tree, like exact, actually putting it up there. What are considerations you have? Like as far as where you want it to be, like, like let's say someone set it up for you and you walked up and you're like, Oh, that's why would you put it there? I wouldn't have put it there. What are yeah. you looking for when you set up your truck to go work that tree? I'm looking to put it on the opposite side from where I'm working. And if I can boom through the tree, then that's what I'll do. And I start from huh. the I start from the bottom and work to the top. So if I have clear access and I'm not I don't want to be close to the truck and I'll I'll bend, I'll, I'll take the truck and I'll kind of bend it at an angle so that the um, uh, chipper is relatively close to the drop zone. So the guys aren't dragging too too far and then I'll boom through the tree to do the work on the other side of the tree. As long as I can reach it effectively then then i'm pretty happy and then instead of huh. I, i'm not a big fan of reaching out uh straight stick out on the out uh out at a i don't know at a 45 or something like that so i'll move the truck if i if i need to i don't like that that sway and that shock on the on the boom on the outrigger, you mean going, out, going, going out really like far horizontal you mean off the ground right so yeah this is um does that happen like how like is that like if outriggers are bouncing or coming off what does something happen is that mm, something to worry about oh yeah yeah for me that's a that's a big red flag um the uh and i don't think that that can like uh, some guys i've had guys i've got a guy that works for me right now who just puts another outrigger pad uh under there but um the, it's the weight distribution um that that bothers me and so I'll just move the truck. I'll just come down, reset. And you know, it's a good time to ch to uh, sharpen saws and the guys can have a smoke and you shut the chipper down for a few minutes and get a drink and have a snack and have a chat. And then the guys yeah. have got uh, some questions and they'll fire some questions back and forth and you can harass each other and all that stuff. And that's what kind of makes the crew. And then it's reset time and reset, go back up and, and, it, and back to work. So it's, nice. it, it works. It really does. So you can, you can, um, you can have a great, it's a great crew rapport when you're doing stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. Well, let's have a reset minute here. So, you know, we call this the a human forestry podcast and we, we always like to get into sort of some tree stuff and we don't always know where it's going to go. And we've had some great lessons here on, on bucket truck operation, which is awesome because we haven't had uh, uh, much aerial lift stuff as of yet, but you know, let, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit and uh, go down the the human forestry road because because trees, you know, typically people that work in the trees we find and and it's been part of their their career and part of their lives. It, it's they they can have more of an impact on more than just tree work. So, can you talk a little bit about or think about how how has has being part of the tree how is being part of trees, not necessarily just working in trees, but just being a tree guy, how has that impacted your personal life and your family and your just your, yourself as a human? Can you talk a little bit about that or make a correlation there? It's been an odd journey because 
God. Um, if you don't run a chainsaw, you cannot discuss it with people who do not run chainsaws. They literally, <laughs> well, okay, okay you, you go after a, go after a poplar. And you're going to go up into a poplar and you're going to remove a 26,000 pound poplar. You're going to reduce it down to six inches off the ground. That's a hell of a job. And yeah. you're going to try to explain that to somebody who has never fired up a chainsaw before. There's an entire, it's, it's, it's a, a, I hate to use this analogy, but it's almost like, it's almost like explaining heart surgery in a way, people just have no reference point for it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so right away, right away, you're fighting to be understood in an operation in a in a business that is so uh, incredibly dangerous. That that's one part of it, but it's basically just uh, it's basically for the for the for the working man for the the regular guy out there, he's just like, I don't understand why the job can't be done. And there's lots of reasons why the job can't be done, but, it, but explaining it to, to people is very difficult. So that's been a difficult path for me because I've always been um, very straightforward, very straightforward guy. So for forestry here at, at, at work, the world of being an, an arborist is very rewarding as an educator, um, but trying to get it through city hall and to to have it truly understood has been a has been a journey for for sure frustrating frustrating um for sure very rewarding it, it certainly can be very rewarding but the reward comes from actually doing the job the frustrating part is trying to get trying to get support to do the job so that's where that's where the the the, the tough part of it has been that but man so you think like you're, going you're home saying like two stroke every day is I love it. <laughs> Interesting. So you're, you're saying like you've experienced, you know, uh, person, um, let me see if I got this right. You know, you've experienced like uh, challenges in the fact that you have to work with people as part of your work environment. Now, I, I think you're talking about work mostly here or even potentially someone that you maybe you're trying to convince them why it costs so much to take a tree down or why it takes so long because or you know you're basically trying to communicate this to someone that has no recollection and that's caused you uh like how is that affect you know i, I can understand I, I hear you saying it's caused you um angst or frustration i'm not sure if i'm using the right word but you know if you think about that what have you learned in that like, you know, most challenges are things that, that, that challenge us, teach us something. So what have you learned from that experience? Like in trying to communicate these things and, and the frustration that's been created. Well, the great reward about it is that it's taught me to talk to people differently. So you can't just pound them over the head with education. Um, you need to present huh. to them. And it's, it's a, uh, something that I learned um, in the Army is that these guys can no longer be yelled at or sworn at or kicked or, or anything to, to do what uh, they need to do. They have to be mentored. And I have found hmm. at, at, on this job now that, that for the folks that don't know forestry, they don't know arboriculture, they need to be mentored. And not, not, for lack of a better word, not mansplained. You know, this is why we need to do the job. It would be a good idea to do it this way um, uh, and safety demands we, we do it this way and that sort of thing. It just come at it from a, from a different perspective. They don't know. And that's okay. They, they actually, they, I used to think that they must know. They, I must educate. And now hmm. it's a matter of here's the job that we're facing. This is why it's got to be done this way. And then work with them to, to because they have an opinion. Everybody's got some kind of an idea, some kind right. of a, something valued to, to add to it. And I can be, I could be uh, guilty of not listening to that in the past. And I do now. And it's a much better way to do things. Interesting. Andrew, now, and uh, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned it now a couple of times, but your experience with the military and in the Canadian Army. So, you know, and I guess that's something you and Tony have in common, not, not the Canadian Army, but the Army. Because I, mm -hmm. I don't know if you know, Chris, but Tony 
is a U.S. Army veteran. That a boy, Tony. Um, how had you know, and you're you just did a you've had a couple stints in the army, is that right, Chris? Yeah, I've been through it. This will be time number three. I'm a sucker. Okay, so you're going back again? Oh no, no, this is I'm still in right now. Uh, but I've oh, okay. just been in and out and and in out and back in again. So this is time three. So I went back to basic um, when I was fifty. So just just right. you can't you can't knock the army out of the boy. Yeah, and there was a there was a time in when you returned, and it's reservist. You were correct. Yeah, I'm or were you regular army as well? Were you regular was, army as well, or I was regular army for years to begin with, and then switched over to the reserve side. And you were at one time the oldest reservist in the or even the oldest. Infant, yeah, when, infantryman or? when I went to uh, basic, I was the uh, oldest. Um, I was the oldest man to ever take uh, uh, basic training in the Canadian Armed Forces. Excuse me. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember that. It was pretty cool. Pretty yeah. cool. Now, I have to ask, you know, being in the trees your whole life and having this connection to the Army, how, if any way, did did trees uh, work with your experience in the army? Like, was there a connection? Did you utilize it? Did it serve you in any way? Oh yeah. Quick decision-making quick decision-making for sure. And then, and then because in the Canadian army, they value so much the individual and the uh, um, decisions that you make and the, the, the plan that you make. And uh, of course, taking trees down is, is, a, is, it's all about the plan. And the army was is the exact same way. And quick decision making, the two lend into each other perfectly. And then, and added to that is being an older guy because I work with young guys in both um, domains, trees and and the army. Um, it taught me to be to be much more much better around around those guys, uh, uh, much better leader around them. So the leadership aspect of it has been has been fantastic. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, chainsaws in the army, did you get a chance to do that or did did they use it? Yeah, I did. I did. I'm telling you, every (laughs) job I ever have has got to have chainsaws in it. And once they found out I was a chainsaw instructor, I ended up, nothing as sweet as what you did, but uh, I I did give a um, saw course to uh, the engineers up here. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's one of those jobs, you know, we, we joke about all the time as arborists, but, you know, doctors get it, chiropractors, massage therapists, probably dentists even, you know, it's it's one of those practitioner jobs, well, electricians, plumbers, drywallers, painters, cabinet makers, you know, arborists. It's like any of these trade type skills where you've got to, you know, hey, I've got this. I got this hitch in my back. I've got this cupboard. I got this door hinge. I got this tree. <laughs> you know, once people know that that you you do the work, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, would you come? I, I don't know how many people say, "Hey, could you come and look at my tree?" Yeah, I guess I could. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or can you take a tree to- out and I'll, I'll, I'll have, we'll have a barbecue and I'll feed you a burger. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Tony, did you? I don't know if we've ever talked about it uh, as far as your experience or using the saw in the U.S. Army. I imagine you must have. I don't know if you did. Oh, Tony, are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Sorry. I had the wrong button. I had to mute myself. I'm coughing and wheezing oh, from a head cold here. So. No, we uh, very briefly as was combat yeah, yeah, engineer, we we didn't have anything gas powered um, because of all the explosives we handled around, but we did have some pneumatic powered chainsaws, and we once had to go, uh, <laughs> we once had to go into the black forest of Germany. They had had some pretty uh, straight line winds, some a uh, lot of damage, so we were basically helping the German uh, Forest Service clear out roads and stuff. And it was a total shit show. We we're using five tons for skidders and doll ass pneumatic chainsaws and uh eventually it got to the point where we just said the hell with this and we just got a bunch of explosives and blew yeah. this shit out of it that was way more fun 
way way more up our uh, <laughs> way more in our skill yeah. set then. Um, so yeah, nice. That was about the extent of it. Most. So you actually, I didn't know that you, I, I didn't know you blew up trees, Tony. Oh yeah, there was. Uh, there's a French word for it. Maybe Chris note when you lay trees down for a tank blockade over a road, they crisscross. There's a name for it. Abattis. Something like yeah, abattis. We used to. Uh, you'd use two charges. You'd use. There's a, that's called an, an abattis. Yeah. 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 You'd use two charges, so one was yeah. basically your face cut, and the other one was up top called a kicker charge. It would push it over, and uh, we got quite good at it. Uh, we, we did get pretty good at it. I would say our felling accuracy was 60% half of the time. Yep. <laughs> is, that, is that a common phrase in the military here in Canada too, Chris? You know, 60% half of the time. It's funny because uh, the Canadian Army and the, and the American Army is so different. Like I taught, I taught my guys, uh, they went to uh, Vermeer and got throw line, and I taught them to get a line in the tree so that they could drop it. <laughs> because it's it's all chainsaw, it's all face cut, back cut. Uh, so there was no no explosives involved. But our engineers, they would have blown blown them up if they if they could. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah. So Chris, uh, how about uh, personally? Just you know, taking it away from you know the army or or the arborist world. How's trees? How do you feel trees have impacted just Chris McGuire and his, you know, your your personal life? How 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 has it affected you or benefited you or been part of you? Trees, um, I lo- I love them because there's no answers to them. I've taken quite a few courses. I've taken some courses through you and and listened and read what Shigo has to say. And and what I've come up with is that is that nobody actually knows. Um, I'm, I'm faith. There's a lot of good thinking out there, but what I'm, what I'm seeing is that there just doesn't seem to be rhyme or reason to trees. They, they are, I think far more, I think they're far more profound than, than, than we think they are, um, in their, in their environment. Um, just the rules that, that I've been taught just don't seem to apply. I've seen trees uh, get sick to the point where I'm ready to take them out only for them to come back. I've seen cankers that, um, giant cankers in trees that don't affect them at all. I've seen that I've seen them bounce back from years and years of, uh, of um, heavy pest population. I, they just fascinate me. They, they're, like I said, there just doesn't seem to be any, rhyme or reason to to trees they're out there they're out there doing it because i think they think they they have to do it because because we're such a mess i i don't know they um well, they please me they please me on a on, okay. a, on a in my lizard brain does that make sense yeah um, well and, and how does that how do you how does that manifest or carry forward in 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 who you are as a human with your interaction with your loved ones, with your, with your, your surroundings, with the human forest that you walk around in every day. How does Chris's tree and his roots connect with all those around him? And how has the trees been a part of that for you? Well, it, it's made me, uh, it's opened my eyes to everything. It's opened my eyes to my, to my family. I need to, um, I'll, I'll say this and, and, People don't quite understand what I what I mean, but um, the tree, the tree, but also the felling plan of 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 the tree, taking the tree down, is something that cycles through my my entire life. The process of things. So I see that tree standing there, and I realize that I have got to take it to ground. I appreciate the fact that it's standing there and I wonder all the time what, it, what, what has happened to it. And so I, and I look at people the exact same way. I think that in a way we're all trees, we're all rooted. We all have our, our issues on the inside and on yeah. the outside that, that we're working on. Um, yeah. And the process of looking at people from learning what the process of trees are and, and how to fix them either um, um, through, through pruning or, <laughs> not necessarily through <laughs> removal, but but that process is something that that 
that I see and that I'm trying to be cognizant of all, all the time. Um, I think the whole world is roots. The whole world, exactly. uh, all the trees and, and all the people um, have got roots in there somewhere. Some of those roots are, some of those roots are pretty compromised and some of them are very, very strong. Um, and is my, like I'll, I'll reference my daughter, um, her little roots are just, just giving her <laughs> and they're yeah. growing in all sorts of ways and where they bash up against the foundation or they, um, um, they're not getting watered properly or, uh, yeah. those things need to be cultivated and cultured and, and that sort of thing. So, um, I, I recognize that I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm, I'm just human. I've got my own, I've got my own pests <laughs> in my own trunk. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, like, like the, like the forest, you have the, you know, you're a father and, and you're, Trees is a mother tree and you've got the, 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 the young trees of the saplings, you know, growing up around you and, and like trees, you know, there's connections made through to, you know, so, you know, how is, how are, how are your roots helping your daughter? Do you think your, your, your roots out there? I think I, I hold a, um, I hold, I think I hold a standard that both my, my daughters adhere to, and I think that they appreciate it. I think that there's, these are tough times for everybody. And I think that there's, and I'm pretty solid and so is mom. Um, and so they look at that and they say, if they're looking at the tree that is the family, they're, they're seeing that there's a very strong foundation there. So there can mm-hmm. be trouble and there can be um, um, anxiety and there could be that, that sort of thing. But when they look, when they look back, when they're looking to, get their head up and chest out and feet on the ground. Uh, they're looking at mom and dad and they're saying, well, they're, they're doing it. And, and I can too. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's, I think that's profound. And I got that from my parents. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it, it was one of the, the impetuses, I suppose you could say for this, the podcast. And, and the reason I, you know, when I first thought of or heard this term, it was really uh, one of the guys at our one of our team events. He, we were standing around the circle like we do with the shoulder to shoulder, arms over each other's shoulders. And we were kind of having a, a closing out, you know, little chat. And uh, one of the guys said it was Emmy. He said, "I'm just really proud. I'm I'm a sapling in this forest of giant trees, and I'm, I'm happy to be growing up in it." And I was like, "Yeah, it's a human forest." And I just I've been running with that theme, and it's it was really what what kind of started the podcast idea and why I always want to bring it around in that is, is you know, and, and people have talked about it, you know, how even trees are like people, you know, we have wounds, we have scars, we may not heal them either. We seal them over with, with stronger, better wood, like wound wood that, that to, to, to reestablish the strength of the trunk before it was injured, you know, and we go through hardships and sometimes that's happens, you know, and, Sometimes we have included bark and sometimes we have to, you know, uh, subordinate a, 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 an errant lead to, to get things back in alignment. And, you know, uh, maybe there's some disease that needs to be pruned and so on. I mean, I, I don't know how long the analogy lasts as far as when it comes to removal, but it certainly does come. We feel to when trees fail or fall mm-hmm. in the forest. They don't just go away. We don't just chip them up like they, in the natural forest, you know, those big trees eventually decompose and are giving back even in their, in the end, you know, and we have those that have fallen our forest that are still giving back to us, you know, like your father, you know, yeah. his tree, his trunk is still feeding your family and still feeding yeah. your human forest. Yeah. Very much so. Very much so. That's a very apt yeah. description for sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we have a, a everything, we still have a, a healthy section of the forest if we're talking about people that are that are helping the rest of it along, right? And it, it mm-hmm. it's all it's all intertwined and it all needs it all needs care and attention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting concept and you know, part of me wonders if would the example that the trees are, you know, and the the trees and the forest is to humanity as far as how uh, the possibility of how we can cohabit and exist and cycle the cycle of life can go, you know, with them discovering relatively recently the trees, you know, 
not only trees of the same species being interconnected to the roots, but even trees of different species being connected and them sharing, you know, energy that way through the root system and being connected, not just tree to tree, but trees to fungus and, you know, that, that everything's interwoven, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. And, you know, that's, that's, we like to kind of wrap up with that and, and, you know, ask people's thoughts on how, you know, with that whole concept in mind, how you're, you know, you're the trees, you know, cause most everyone we talk to are, it, it's our connection comes from trees in the first place, you know, either through training or through, through, through working. And, um, you know, how being an arborist and then, you know, also being a trainer, you know, cause you're not just an arborist, you, you're part of the training world as well. Like, how is that all? If you could just sum it up, how, how, how is that, how is your forest rounded out and how does it change or affect how Chris functions in this human force? I'll ask what, I think I already asked it, but I'm, I'm asking it again, well, I guess. No, I have an answer for that. It goes back to um, how did uh, earlier when you were asking about how do you communicate um, uh, forestry and bird culture and that sort of thing to to folks who don't know about it. I used to yeah. um, think that through work ethic that I could um, educate everybody, that everybody would see how hard Chris McGuire works, and I want to work like him, and I want to work smart like him, and and that and I was trying to. Um, uh, affect people on a large scale. And what I've learned is that you, it's the singular. It comes down to the, to the tree to do the assessment on, on the tree and that it's, it's easier. And I think it's more profound to work in smaller groups on, on people on the, on the singular. And I, I've had great success uh, as an instructor with my, um, with my groups, with my students. I've had very I've uh, really profound uh, engagements with them in these eight-person groups, in these six-person groups. Uh, um, and I'll give you an example of that. When I went back up to Whitehorse to, to uh, train the uh, Northwest Utilities guys last year, um, I watched them doing my techniques uh, as they were cutting down trees, patented Chris McGuire techniques. And I stopped them and I said, why are you doing that? And they said, because you did it. And because you're so good, well, you're so good at it and you taught us so well and we had so much fun with you and that sort of thing. There's an impact I made and they were enjoying it and they enjoyed the chainsaw and they enjoyed the course and they enjoyed us. Um, so I realized that there's, there's, there's an impact to be made and it's about that smaller group and influencing that in the way that you can and they go forward and then they do it, right? And I think that's extremely important. Um, as long as you're doing your best. Right. Their, their roots move forward and connect with other roots, you know, and yeah. you can, you know, it, it's like that ripple effect that we talk about at trainer, except kind of taking it underground. <laughs> yeah. But you, you talk about roots and then you talk about the people that get to your class and say, I've always wanted to take this class. I've heard nothing but good things. Well, there's your roots, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's your roots getting yeah. out there. So yeah, it's been rewarding. It's been, it's been wonderful. Yeah. You know, and I, I think a lot of it is on, it is perspective, you know, when you can, when you can choose a different perspective, you know, I, I, you can think of things as there's that whole app empty half full. How has your day been? Has it been pretty good or has it been not bad? You know, how do you frame things? And that can, that, that you know, that whole positive, Looking for the positive things helps a lot too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I wonder, I wonder if trees, I, I can't help but think that they must, you know, they're, they're not able to run away from their problems. They're not able to run to uh, the areas they want. I mean, they, their roots will bust into a, into a, into a, into a sewer line because they know there's good stuff there or near and around it because it's leaking or whatever. But, you know, they're, they're always going to where it's favorable and going to where it's good. And they, even though they can't move there, they make the best of what they got where they are all the time. They, they do their best. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. They take, they find their advantages where they can. Another example. <laughs> well, yeah. um, Chris, we're, we're, it's a, 
just just over an hour we've been chatting and uh, yes. really appreciated our conversation. You know, I, I, I really like the fact that we got into talking about some uh, some aerial lift stuff. So yeah. uh, thanks a lot for that. I think you're a lot of people, you know, not, you know, the fact is, I don't think most of the, you know, as much as there is a lot of climbers, it's still a smaller percentage of the guys doing actual aerial tree work. I think the, the bucket operators outnumber the climbers by a considerable amount, I would say, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, not nearly as covered in, in training and that sort of thing. So, and that's, 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 we just need to, to, we just need to be better, right? In everything. And, and that's part of it. Hmm. Well, I appreciate you uh, bringing that, that side to it. And, and I'm sure we'll, we'll uh, maybe get some more people on that, that got some more of the bucket background, but even yourself, interestingly enough, your first exposure to, to the, the tree work side of things, as far as in the air goes, was on rope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah interesting yes. yeah well good times i just want to say this is uh Dwayne newstater with chris mcguire and tony tressel and we hope that you all enjoyed another edition of tree accents the human forestry podcast thanks chris it was nice talking with you appreciate the time yeah thanks guys appreciate it now i gotta get back to work <laughs>